Thank you for that uh, song, Isaiah 6. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you that you are holy. He was from above is above all. Above all the noise, above all the, yeah, just the chatter, Lord. You're enthroned. We just ask you, oh, holy God. We just lift our hearts to you. We lift our ears to you. We need what you have to say, Lord. We want to hear from you today. We just lift this time here, this uh, in your word, that the ministry of the word would be impactful, that, that you would take your word and, and challenge and change us. We don't want to just be challenged today. We want to be changed. We want the potter to move his hand upon us, the clay. We want you to move upon us, Lord. We ask that you just be free in this place, Lord, that, that you're welcome here. Just commit this now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Awesome. As Jeb said, next week we start Advent. So this will be my last uh, uh, preach in, in James for this year. We will continue it next year. Um, I felt to start with a metaphor that if you've been around me, you're probably used to hearing. Um, sometimes I, want, I, I feel for like Sharon, who's been with us a long time, and even at the last church, how much he's heard. But then I realized that also Paul repeats himself. And, and if you do... Uh, if, if you do look at the New Testament, there's a lot of repetition to people about very similar things. So I want to start off with this, uh, this metaphor of, of, of the doctor's office. And apparently you're supposed to go annually now that you're over 50, my doctor tells me. He gave me a blood requisition uh, uh, 10 months ago. I've, I think I've lost it. But, but nonetheless, you do go to the doctor when you're not feeling well, and generally the first thing they'll do is they'll test your heart. They, 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 you know, I always think they're just looking busy or something. They test the heart, and then they get out the pump to test your blood pressure. Those are key markers. If one of those are off, it probably alerts something. But if there's still something wrong, they always send you to get your blood taken. And so when you go back in and they, they read out the, the various uh, metrics of blood, I won't pretend to understand any of it. And... In the, in the reading of the, whatever the blood's saying, they can then help you with maybe some of the ailments that you might be having. So not only do they, it's, it's sort of a cause and effect. We're going in because of the effects we feel, and we're trying to figure out what the cause of the effect is. It's like someone who smoked uh, 30 packs of cigarettes a day and goes in and has issues uh, uh, you know, with, with, their, with their lungs. The doctor might go, well, I don't know if I need to do an x-ray on you right now, but it might actually be the cause of it might be your cigarettes. But even we would laugh at that, but you could say that about fast food. You could say it about multiple things that we would all understand. Now, if the individual who's, who smoked these cigarettes said, how dare you judge me, it would be very strange. How dare you? See, this is what James is. He's like the, the, the doctor, and, he, and he's, he's seen these, these, these effects in the church. And he's going to point out the causes of them. Now, it's up to us as to whether to go, eh, no, don't accept it. Can I get someone else that will give me another cause? Maybe a little less in my face. A little less offensive, please. I mean, when you say you have a good family doctor, what does that mean? It probably means they're accurate in what they talk about. It probably means they're understanding in what they're talking about. It probably means they probably are quite loving, I'm sure. Quite a good bedside manner. But the number one thing you want from a doctor is competency. I don't really care if they're gruff or not. 
just, I want someone who's able to diagnose accurately and give me solutions. And that's how you have to see the apostles of the New Testament. They had a bedside manner. Yeah, dude, they got stoned a lot of times. The people threw stones at them. They were shipwrecked. They were beaten. What is it? Ten of the original 11, one committed suicide, but ten of the original 11 were, were, were martyred. You got to understand the context with which they speak from as we sit in our sofas in our nice warm homes with our bellies full and various things. Even the poorest people, poorest person in this room has still got more than what they had. So you have to understand their perspective. Now, it doesn't dumb down what they're saying. It's still reality in the spiritual realm. If you could just see, just as we do with an x-ray machine to maybe see what's going on inside of us, these guys are helping us understand what the problem is and the level of toxicity of sin to the spiritual condition. Like cigarette smoking, you go, dude, don't do that. It's going to kill you. Now, if the individual keeps smoking, at least they know what's going to kill them. The wages of sin is death. I don't like that, Nick. I'm going to go to a different doctor. Well, go, and you will die. That's, what, that's the, the gravity of this. You know, it's like you talk to someone who gets really serious. Like, oh boy, it's getting... You're like a jokey in the Canadian culture, right? A bit of sarcasm now and then. This is serious business that he's getting into, and he is going to let us have it today. <laughs> um, and, and I just want to, just before we start, just, Lord, that you would speak to us if you're... Is this for me? Are you trying to speak to me today? I want to hear from God. I want to hear from the great physician. I want accuracy. I don't want to box and hope to hit something. I don't want to diagnose myself even. Let you, O oh Lord, speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's start into James chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts amongst you? Is the source of your pleasures that wage war in your body parts, is it the source? Is that the source? Is it not the source? Battles, fighting. I mean, it's quite extreme language here, but what's causing this unrest? There's clearly unrest going on in the church. And, he's, and, and, and James is pointing out earthly pleasures as a, one of the key metrics as to what's causing the problem as you were reading the blood work. Now, Jesus also spoke of this earthly pleasures and the effects of earthly pleasures on your life in the parable of the sower. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked by worries, riches, and pleasures of this life. And they bring no fruit to maturity. So there is fruit, but it doesn't get to maturity. There is sort of life, kind of life. It doesn't say there's zero produced in the sense of there's nothing. There's budding, but it doesn't, it doesn't produce fruit. And he highlights these three things, worries, riches, and pleasures. Seeking pleasures can be a real problem in our spiritual walk. A real problem. Now we see he's talking about the, in our body parts. Now naturally, in the, you, could, you could take that for your own body member, like the issues in yourself. I believe he's talking in the context of church body here because of the nature of which he's addressing the whole, the whole church and the relationships. 
You lust and do not have. So you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You lust, it means to long for, fixate on. Just, you just long and you lust. Every thought that comes to your head about lust is what he's talking about. Now he's not, I don't believe he's talking about literal murder here. Now maybe somebody's got taken out, got whacked because of these, what's going on. But, but I think he's actually referring to Jesus here. Remember, he's the half-brother of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard the ancients were told, you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Spiritual speaking, anger is an extremely dangerous position to abide in for the Christian. And the non, of course. But we're talking about you in the, in the, in the doctor's office. Anger is often a place in which the, the flesh exerts its dominance. We often start out with what we would call righteous anger. And it quickly takes hold. As a person who has struggled with anger and rage from my childhood, I speak plainly about this. And you try to sanctify it, and you look at what the government's doing, and you look at all of the various things. And there is a place for righteous anger. I do believe that. It says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. There's something we have to be very careful about anger. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Envy. <laughs> it means to heat, be heated or to boil. He's, 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 decide, he's basically describing people who are carnal, fleshly, and earthly. Remember what it said? Natural, earthly, demonic in our last, last uh, sermon. They're always in a state of desire. Never satisfied. You ever drink a Coke after running 10K? It doesn't quench your thirst. You're longing for, like, it's a weird thing. You just, water's perfect. But it's this weird place that you can be drinking something but never satisfied. It's that they're in this constant place of never being satisfied. Unthankful. Remember, Paul always talks about thankfulness as a defense mechanism. And lustful. They're lustful. And as a result, they fight one another. It's though he's describing a place of perpetual discontentment. And all of the marketing um, companies in the world say, amen. Let's keep you discontent. If we bought what we needed and not we want what we wanted, the whole society would come to a grinding halt. But Paul speaks to this in himself, because you're like, okay, Paul, how many tours have you done in the kingdom? You know, dude, I, I put my hand to the plow. I'm still in it. I'm still on the front lines. And this is what Paul has learned about contentment. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And now at last you have received, um, you have re revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity to act. Not that I speak from need. Hmm. For I learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with little. 
and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's learned the secret. What's the secret? What's the secret to contentment? Christ. Christ. Christ is more than just a way to heaven. He's more than just forgiveness of sin. He is for life. It's, it's contentment through the strength of Christ. And they, do not, they don't have because they don't ask. You have not because you ask not. It's, it, it, is, it is a remarkable situation. Now, I've found when I'm in the throes of envy and, and, and uh, looking around at what other people have and what I don't have, and there's very little desire to pray. <laughs> it's, it's, it's down the list. It's certainly not first. So it's, it's, no, it's no surprise that they're on full, full bore flesh mode here. And, and fleshly thoughts and fleshly minds don't think about prayer. But when they do think about prayer, they ask and they don't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you request on your P-word pleasures again. Now we see this so much today in the health and wealth and the word of faith where they take the scriptures and they manipulate it for the pleasures. Self-gratifying. Pleasures. They're slaves to what they're offering your body. They're slaves to their pleasures. And God has no obligation to fulfill carnal, fleshly prayers. Just letting you know if you're frustrated. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know what, that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. When Jesus walked the face of the earth, he was completely submitted to the will and the ways of the Father. Remember? Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was coming. And it wasn't just crucifixion, although that's probably the most heinous thing you can do to a person. But the weight of sin. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That that he has not partaken in every, what every other human has partaken in, the sin. He knew that was coming, but he still said, yet not my will, but yours be done. His pleasures were nowhere. His pleasure was what? To do the will of the Father. His desires, what, what motivated him, what excited him was to hear what the Father said and to repeat it, to see what the Father was doing and to repeat it. This was the pleasures that Jesus had. And this is not helping or happening with this church that James is speaking to. They're completely self-focused without much regard for God's will. And that is clear as we continue. He's only going to ramp it up. Lots going on here. You adulteresses. Do you not know the friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Hmm. I want to remind you again that James is speaking and writing to Christians. 
This is not the world he's speaking to. And he's lighting these guys up. He really is. He's, he's not holding back. He's like, as the kids say, he's unloading the clip. He calls them adulteresses. Interesting word used to use. Now, you'll see this term used a lot in the Old Testament. It would be familiar to his audience as they're part of the dispersion, adulteresses. And God would often speak this through his prophets when they fell into rebellion and sin. But adultery is a term that he only used for one particular sin. Do you remember what that was? Idolatry. Idolatry. Now, this term, adultery, is only used in in its primary sense between two individuals. In other words, I can't commit adultery. I can only commit adultery on one person in this room by the nature of the covenant I have with that individual before God, my wife. It, 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 it notes that there's something deeper here. You know, you, you messed me over. Well, many people could do that. You betrayed me. Many people can betray you. But only one person can commit adultery on me. So it gives you an understanding of God's perspective here when he looks down at his people to use such terminology. It speaks to the nature. Something more intimate. And we know this being called the bride of Christ. But God actually believes this. I know that may sound trite, but this is true to him from his perspective to us. And he says, friendship with the world. Now, it should be noted that friendship in, in, in this terminology is very different than your 500 Facebook friends. And that's the problem with the English language. You're hearing it in today's context when you need to hear it how the author intended it. Friendship. This speaking of Abraham, but you Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descend of Abraham, my friend. And you may have heard that, that Abraham was a friend of God. Now I can tell you as a parent, I am very aware of my kids' friends. And sometimes when one, one friend kind of fades to the back, I'm like, okay, that's great. Okay, let's see, why don't you go over a friend date with that person? Right? You're very aware of friends. This is not a small thing. This is not foreign to us, this statement here. We understand this, particularly those with kids. There's a level of intimacy and friendship in the thinking and action with someone who's a friend. You know, you can't choose your brother or sister, but you can choose your friends. And you don't choose your friend. You, you can leave friends and, and, and get friends. But you can never just leave your brother or your sister. So there's an intimacy in, in what you like to do, what you, what you think, how you look at the world that is between friends. And if you think and act like the world, the world will be your friend. If you think and act like Jesus Christ, the world will not be your friend. But he will. This church is the one he's speaking to here. Friendship with the world indicates their mind and hearts, where they're at, who they are. Yes, they've got proper doctrine, I would imagine, but how they live is appealing to the world. They are not a fragrance of death, as 1 Corinthians 5 says. Or do you think the scripture says to no purpose he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us. This highlights to me, again, just God's perspective on his people. Even under Old Covenant, if you go back and read, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 3. I remember reading Jeremiah chapter 3, God speaking to Israel and wept. 
It's like when you see a battered woman. My, my, I've, seen, I've seen abuses on both sides, but I've seen many battered women who are just abused by a husband that you care for them. It's devastating. And you, now you kind of get this, this weird dysfunctional relationship in God's heart laid out before them. And, and it, in this you start to see, especially with saying adultery and how he longs. And he desires to know these people. He desires to walk with them. He did, remember he came down and he walked with Adam in the cool of the eve. He desires that with his people, with his church. But of course, this church has slipped into a focus on self and away from Christ. In our Lord's mind, we are engaged to be married in the spiritual sense. We are. Can you imagine having two people, one feels, in a relationship, one feels that they're engaged and the other feels they're just dating. They would have dramatically different perspectives on it. It doesn't work. Do you want to be married to Jesus? I know it's an odd thing to say. I get it. I just leave it. But I understand there's, there's a level of, of covenant and intimacy that God is calling us to in Jesus. These people don't want that. Or at least they act like they do not. And as a result, because of this perspective, God's perspective, jealousy is a very natural and reasonable understanding. Even for humans, if I saw my wife going on dates with another guy, if I were not jealous, it means I probably don't love her. That's what he's saying here. Like, it's a reasonable reaction to someone who loves you and is committed to you. And like, why are you seeing other people? Why will you not commit to me? Old covenant and new. This was always the petition to the people. Do you not love me? Them that love me keep my commandments and, 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 and so on. So the, the, the key here is this, this desire that God has. Israel is an example to us. It really is. And, and Paul says that in Corinthians. They wanted the benefits of, 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 of knowing Yahweh without any commitment. And we see so many examples. They honored God with their lips and their heart were far from them. It says that multiple times. They were stiff-necked people. Yes, we appreciate the benefits of knowing you, but eh, I want to go my own way. Can you not bless my Ishmael, please? The Lord, again, desires communion with his people through the Spirit within us. God is Spirit. He that worships him must, must God is spirit. He that worships him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You cannot, there's no other way for intimacy with him. No other way. Pretty intense stuff. But fear not. God is good. God is great. God is merciful. And God is gracious to us. Verse 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a remarkable verse to drop in the middle of this conversation, if I could say this topic. I would imagine many of the listeners to this letters, letter was being cut down, feeling lost and confused at this point. It's like, whoa, man, I'm way off. I want you to note the complexity of sin. All the various weirdness going on on the planet right now. Think of the websites. Think of what's going on in Gaza. Think of the corruption. Think of the depth of it. 
the complexity of it. And look at the simplicity of the solution. Call it all men from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Come, humble yourself. Doesn't matter what race, creed, color, whatever you are. Come. Come and humble yourself. And we need this grace. We see such a juxtaposition to the sin and its wickedness in, a, in juxtaposition to grace. Grace, unmerited favor. You say, Nick, I'm not worthy. You're right, you're not worthy. None of us are. That's why it's grace. If you think, yes, I'm getting to the head of the line, you need to go right to the back, bro. Be okay with the contentment. Understand your weaknesses. Embrace that in a sense at this point, he's saying. How we partake is clearly here of this grace, this wonderful grace. By grace, we are saved through faith. Do we not need grace, dear people? We partake in this humility. If you wonderful, there's so many wonderful scriptures. This is Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anyone here need rest? Are you done running? Are you done taking the weight of the world? Are you done with all the messed up stuff from your child? Are you done being fearful of the government, being fearful of all manner of things? Are you done? Do you want rest? Paul says this, be the same mind one towards another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Now I get it. There are some people that are super beating themselves up and they're condemned and there's a spirit and so on. But the majority of us probably think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. When we're singing that song, Isaiah 6, you think of Philippians when, when Paul says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. The one we're singing, holy, holy, holy. Let this mind be in you. That he did not think something to be co-equal with God, something to be grasped. In other words, I'm staying up here, Lord. I ain't going down here. This is my place. But he made himself a little lower than the angels. You ever watch the Passion of the Christ? You go, Lord, stop. No, don't do it. He who knew no sin, you think, oh, Lord. God is not asking you to do anything he has not done himself. Humility is a part of who God is. And you say, what do you mean? God was in Christ while he was being crucified. There is a, there is a humility is sobriety. It's an understanding. It's like you're a third generation kid and your parents have made you millions of dollars and you think you earned it. And you walk up like, I'm a big guy. and I've... You were given it. There's nothing wrong with that. But you did not earn it, it was given to you. Why do you think what you have, anything of any value we have has been given to us by God? He who prophesies, who causes you to prophesy? If it's you, we're all done, whoever's listening to you. Anything of any worth is from him. Anything of any impact is from him. If the gifts of the Spirit were taken from the church, it would grind to a halt. Sadly, of course, it wouldn't. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble ourselves, submit ourselves 
to submit one's control, yield one's admonition or advice. You will note that submission is not just tapping out. It's not just giving up or giving in. It's not just, sub, it's not just surrender. It's an act of the will. It's coming into agreement. You know when your kids are submitted, doing something for you, or unsubmitted, doing something for you. On the outward, they're still doing something. But inward, it's very different. Like Egypt, longing for the leeks, longing for the garlics, longing for that which was in the past, instead of embracing what God's got for them. Tucking in with the Holy Spirit, co-laboring with Christ. Thank you, Lord. Submission. Once we find ourselves in the position of submission, and it is a position, we must then resist the devil. Now, the same resist is when God says, God resists the proud, opposes the proud. It says, you must resist, same word, the devil. And it says, it says set yourself up against. If you look at the word, you must set yourself up again. So when you are submitted to God, you set yourself up against the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. He will flee from you. That's a remarkable thing because he's pretty powerful. We see what he does in the world. I know it's a lot of sin and flesh. It's not all the devil. I get it. But he's playing with it. He will flee from you when we are submitted. But we must resist. And I think sometimes when we're wanting to get deliverance or wanting to get free of certain things that we're having struggles with in the spiritual realm, we often forget this step. Submission. Who are you submitted to? James begins now to give us a process of maybe what submission looks like or where we go from here, okay? What do you mean, man? What do I do? Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourself, submit yourself, move towards God. This is the fruit of humility and submission. Cleanse your hands, remove the dirt, the defilement. What, you see, the, the hands are kind of what you do, the work of your hands, how you live, what you do. Cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. Rid your heart of other affections. When James is listening to the heart, there's something off in the heart. Often those are the issues in our life. The affections. And it can be well-meaning, but it's just pushing out it's pushing out God. It's pushing out Him at the center. Stop with the double-mindedness. You've got to make a decision, man. We know the Laodicean church, it says, I would rather you hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. You're in the middle. You're double-minded. You're in the world and in the, in, in the, in the kingdom, as it were. You're, you're caught in between, and of course, you're, as a result, you're lukewarm. Be miserable and mourn. He's getting into it. And weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Now this again would be very common language to a Jewish person. Many times the prophets would come. Here's Isaiah in his example 
Isaiah 22:12. At the time the Lord, the Lord of heaven's army, calls you to weep and mourn. He told you to shave your heads in sorrow for your sins and to wear clothes of burlap to show your remorse. To humble yourself. Remember when David, his son, died? He humbled his oh, humility. Humility is just reality. It's just embracing what's real. The very breath you have going in and out. He's given it to you. Your heart beating. The life you have. It's all from him. And James is wanting them to see how far off path they are. How you guys have deviated. You need to get back to where you started. I would ask us today, where are you at? Are you on the path? Are you veering off? You know, if you veer off for one degree over time, you're way off. Allow the Lord to show you, man. Who wants to waste time? Humility, submission. Pressing into God. And He will lift you up. It's such an interesting thing, the kingdom. Who wants to be great in the kingdom? I do. Go clean the toilets. What? Whoever wants to be great in the kingdom wants to be a servant of all. It's the exact opposite in juxtaposition to the world. Remember the sons of thunder? Lord, throw down fire on this, on this, um, on this city. It's like, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Remember that? And he's, he rebukes them in a sense. And, and he, obviously they don't understand. But that's the way of the world, the, the big guy campus. The way up is down for the human, for us, for the Christian. It's on your knees. It's a, actually a physically a great place to start your day. I just give you that. I understand it's all about inward. But the inward does have an expression outward, like lifting your hands. Like when you're singing that song, I lift up holy hands, and your hands aren't lifted. It's just like, okay, this is kind of getting weird. I'm just going to finish with the heart of this physician, if I can say James. I think Paul articulates this really well. To understand the heart that they have for us, and the heart, obviously, the Lord has for us through them, through these writings. And it's, it's actually in uh, 2 Corinthians 7. Paul laid into this church, if you recall. It was, it was a wacko church, too. I mean, it's probably pretty normal, but you know what I mean. This is speaking to the letter that he wrote to them. I am not sorry that I sent, you that, that, sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first. You ever done that? Click send. You're like, oh, it was gone. Like, oh, Lord. For I know it was painful for a little while. It hurts. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The word of God is living and active. It divides. It's a sword. It cuts. Now, I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It caused you to stop smoking. It caused you to stop eating at McDonald's every day. It caused you to get off the couch. In the natural, that's what I'm talking about. It's causing, like, whoa, boy, you're in a serious condition. You've got some problems. That's what he's saying to these people. To these people. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow for the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For this kind of sorrow God, God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. 
There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. God wants, God, God is looking for his church in the time that we're in to come and submit to him. There's so much distraction. There's so many podcasts. There's so much Christian stuff even on YouTube. And who knows if they're wacko or not. I don't know. But there's a lot of talk. When you need to get with God, you need to get on your knees with the word. And you need to find out relationally with God who he is. Isn't it interesting to Moses? I mean, did anyone see what Moses saw? I, I try to think about it, but I think he would have seen everything. Like, I mean, he saw the most miraculous events. He saw that Red Sea part. And the one thing he asked is, Lord, show me your glory. The indicator of your future, if we were to fast forward, me at 85, you guys 85, 90, 100, the indicator of what you will be like at that time is your heart, your condition of your heart the condition of, of who's directing it and the intimacy that we have with the Lord. But there's an expression here of how we get in there. It's not just given to us, it's humble yourself. Humble yourself. Submit. I know submission is a weird thing, but partial submission is not submission. I know it sounds horrible, but you submit all aspects of your life. I know that we can go, I'm submitting this part of my life to God, but I'm not... It's not convenient, Lord, at this time. Don't you understand? If I submit in that, I won't be able to do X, Y, and Z. It's not submission. God is calling us to a place where we can be, as it were, exalted in Him for the community out here on the shore, for, the, for British Columbia, for Canada, for the world. God is going to use us as His expression, but we must come into alignment in humility and submission. Let's stand together, please. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your words, Lord. I just pray for anything that's just moving upon people now, Lord. I pray if there's anything that is convicting or leading people, Lord, I pray that you would protect it. I pray that you draw your people to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We honor you. We want, just the, we want the simplicity of following Jesus. We don't want the quagmire of sin. The quagmire and the confusion and the ups and downs of lukewarmness and double-mindedness. We turn our backs on double-mindedness. And we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I just pray for every person here, every household, Lord, that you draw us in, that we would not be scared to hear the cutting of your word. For your intentions are good. We speak life over this church, life over the families, life over this community. We just yield to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just ask you now just, just to speak.